Pour yourself a sweet tea, pull up a lawn chair, and turn the page with us. You're listening to Right on Mississippi, a podcast taking you inside the minds of America's most treasured wordsmiths. I'm Ebony Lumumba, and Right on Mississippi is produced in partnership with Mississippi Public Broadcasting for the Mississippi Book Festival, the South's Literary Lawn Party. I'm here today with Michael W. Twitty, culinary guru, historian, genius, and we're at the Mississippi Book Festival 2022. We're here to talk about Kosher Soul. This book is about everything, but specifically, it's about black food that is also Jewish, Jewish food that is also black. We're going to dig into it. And I'm going to welcome my guest, who I am so thrilled to sit across from, Michael Twitty. Good morning. Good morning. What a pleasure to be here. Uh, the pleasure is all mine. There is so much that we could talk about. I mean, I think we should have blocked off the day <laughs> to get into <laughs> kosher soul. But yes, we'll, we'll st- I really want to start with the cooking gene. Mm-hmm. Right. Yes. Welcome back, right to Mississippi, because you're, you. you're here a lot and you've done some dynamic work. I am a student of the Cooking Gene, okay, uh, and a fan. And you describe that book as a present to African Americans that marks our sort of inception or documented inception in this country, and we accept. We accept the Thank gift. You. Thank you. Thank uh, you. That that book does so much justice work, and I describe it as filling in the gaps, and uh, in the way that Tony K. Bambara might describe it's salvation is the issue. It saves our lives. It documents us. So, with all that you achieved with the cooking gene, which I hold very near and dear to my heart, tell us a little bit about how Kosher Soul does something similar for a broader demographic of Black folks. So I, I feel like the cooking gene is. Um, for those who missed out, they're still there. You it's still, still there. buy it. You still, <laughs> get, you know, get it retail. If you don't know, now yeah, you know. <laughs> now you know. Um, was about me tracing my ancestry from West Central Africa to America, from slavery to freedom. Mm-hmm. And I know that for a lot of us, that's very elusive. Right. But I used genetic genealogy. Um, I used standard genealogy, oral history. Um, you know, my imagination, my informed imagination. I love that. And everything else to kind of fill in the gaps. Also to pre- present a blueprint. My friend, Therese Nelson, who is a chef and culinarian from New York, she says, we black folks need a blueprint. Mm. So that's the guiding force mm. behind a lot of what I do is creating a blueprint so that others can help fill in more gaps. Because obviously, you know, my book is the longest book ever written on black food history. Say that again. Yeah, it's 400 some pages as opposed to what we normally get, which is 150, 200 pages. And that's including the notes. And recipes. And recipes. Because yeah. people don't, the the the, the, the the real meat of it is usually not included. Mm. So what we have to do is really do that work of, you know, well, how does this all fit in? So for a lot of people, it's just like, okay, history is about great people doing great things in great places. Mm-hmm. For me, it's about the everyday people. That's right. Encountering each other. So in Kosher Soul, which documents... Um, part of the black and Jewish experience. People think that's just, you know, uh, uh, just two seconds. No, 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 no. That's Moses and Zipporah. Yeah. That's the yeah. Arab Rob that walks out of Egypt um, during the Exodus. Um, that's part Nubian and Ethiopian and Egyptian. Yes. Um, yes. Old as, Testament. As, as, I mean, as well as Hebrew and the Hebrew Bible. And it's also um, the story of Jews and black people in the Western world negotiating power and relationships mm-hmm. so that they're, you know, telling people that there were 
black people who were Jewish in Renaissance Italy and the Netherlands and England. Like they're like what or Philly. medieval Spain? They're like what? And I'm like uh huh. Yeah. Oh yeah. That, and, and it's not. It's. It, I'm not just telling you this. There are depictions of these people. Yeah. And they're real. And then of course in the New World, the New World is born, Ebony. When you know, not not. We're not talking about the New World for the indigenous people. It wasn't new to them. Right. But right. the New World for the rest of the the planet was born when in 1492. You know, both the essentially both slavery across the Atlantic mm-hmm. and the Inquisition. Yeah, Spanish Inquisition against Jews and Muslims. Yeah, uh, and and what they call heretics began forcing the original sins of the West, other than misogyny, mm. ableism, etc., across the Atlantic Ocean. Mm. And so these two things helped America be born at the same time. And you have to ask yourself, okay, so if that was the birth of America. The right. These, these sins are the birth. Right. So how do we, what, to what extent has the the beauty of this place been unraveling them? Mm. And so I, I, so that's the problem. So, so if the problem is stated in those terms, I'm asking the reader to solve them in terms of food and culture. I love that. <laughs> I mean, we just need to take a moment and, and marinate on that. We're going to use mm-hmm. all the food metaphors, all, all the that, food we, metaphors. <laughs> that we could think of Ice today. But when you talk about the West being born out of these atrocities, right, which are damaging, which are traumatic, you also describe Kosher Soul as a, a recovery. Mm-hmm text right that it 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 represents this sort of you say chicken soup for the soul of jews of african descent and when we think of uh the connotation of chicken soup is that it is this healing thing very very jewish very you didn't mention the the matzo balls and or anything like that but there's so many derivations of chicken soup in all of these different cultures but in every culture we associate it i believe with healing we associate it with warmth and uh rejuvenation and hydration and um it's very simple uh uh you know practical ingredients you you don't have to be rich right to have chicken soup and so it Mm -hmm. stretches far and wide and and so What's in this book that's healing for us? Because you're right about that that trauma origin. Well, the first thing is that we have to take into consideration that our intersectionality. Mm. Thank you, Dr. Kimberly Crenshaw. Come on, Dr. Crenshaw. Is is something that people have used. They've weaponized that term to to uh, to say that we've muddied the waters of identity. One hundred percent. That we we, we cleaned to, it up. We cleaned it up. <laughs> yeah, we cleaned it up. We refined it. We refined it because we both know. Yeah, that if most Americans would fail cultural and genetic purity tests, fast, I mean, fast. No, there is no no purity. We're we're all sort of in this, you know, whether you knew it or not. And then let's go beyond so true. that. There there are people that there are people who are border crossers and bubble bursters mm. and box burners. Mm. Who are born and and raise and live and teach every day. Yeah. And that's most of us. Not mm-hmm. all of us, but most of us. Most of us. And so that's that's there. And then the other part of it is for Jews of African descent to be seen. To be seen. To be seen. Because we we're we're not this I guess that those those um those definitions of who we are. Like I get a lot of this, well, are you Hebrew? Well, 
I am not Hebrew, I'm Jewish, but if a black person practices some elements of Judaism and calls themselves Hebrew, that's their business. Yeah. But I'm not I'm not here to debate or fight about that. Um, right, like the, the Hebrew, Hebrew Israelite sect, right. you know, trying to associate it, which there's a nuance. Well, there's a nuance, but there's like so, there's so many different groups of them. Yeah, yeah exactly. Like, like you can't just say, oh, that's a Hebrew Israelite, or that's Hebrew. Exactly. Well, that's not who, what you know, I'm talking about, but at the same point in time, I can't ignore that they exist mm-hmm. on the periphery of that, but I, t- I do talk about, you know, um, black rabbis and... Mm-hmm. Um, Black people belong to black Hebrew school teachers, and black folks who were in ma- mainstream congregations, and all of that is a thing. Yeah, that people don't know about. There's there's about a hundred thousand of us. Lifting, you're lifting a veil in yes. essence. Yes, and we and we and we're not just American. We're we're Brazilian and mm-hmm. we're Jamaican and we're Haitian. Diaspora and we're West African and and Ethiopian and it's oh, a whole entire diaspora of people mm. who you know whose history is. Global, varied, ancient, and as I've said, if you if you know that the African diaspora and Jewish diasporas are very old and global, very and that we've been so. from the same place at the same time, yeah, then obviously cultural and culinary interactions have occurred. Obviously, I mean we communicate through food, we survive yes. through food. Yes. I love very much uh, this this connotation that you are simply right, like lifting the shields from our eyes so that we can see that this was always there. I mean, you look at the beautiful cover of this book and some folks are going to pick it up and think that you've created a thing, right? That Mm -hmm. you have, you've created this new genre of food. It's black and Jewish and we can buy your cookbook. You're going to be on these networks making, you know, matzo ball with dumplings and and chicken, Mm -hmm. (laughs) right? Mm -hmm. That sort of thing. But it's less about creating something new and more about shedding a light on what has always been there. I really appreciate that about this text and how much of a mashup it is. So, brother, there's prayers and poems and narrative and history and culture all in this one book. It's this mashup of genres And I wonder if when we talk about intersectionality, if the book's format and the way that it comes together also is representative of kind of what you're conveying about the way that we come together. Absolutely. I mean, the cover of the book is four halas. You know, Mm -hmm. one is African liberation colors. One is the colors of the white. Another one is the colors of pride flag. Another one is all those things mixed together in one hala. And of course, hala is braided. Yeah. It's different parts that are made whole, mm. and it's used to make a blessing. There are different layers and levels in that, and then of course, you know, the color of you know we like color. Yeah. So we are a colorful people. Colorful people. So we we got that in there too. So I wanted the per- the reader to like immediately be kind of a you know um, brought in mm. with that image of blessing, wholeness. I have all these different parts, but they work together. You are in essence, welcoming folks into this discussion, this yes. discourse. That at a could, table. At a table, which is where we come together. Right. Right. We don't invite people to the table. Right. We don't. I didn't want to lecture. I wanted, I wanted to be like this with you and me. And that's but, the positioning. When we face this book, mm. we, listen, they're right across from you like I am. Right. Which is glorious. And imagining that we're like doing mise en place. We're doing make preparations mise for a meal. Place. Everything for a dinner, in its place. We're cooking together, you know, which know, is so intimate. Yes, yes. It is so intimate. Because I'm vulnerable. Yeah. You know, I, I'm telling some stuff about... All of my books tell a little bit more about me that, you know, 
some things I've never said to another living person, mm. let alone put in print, express in a book. People don't know how hard that is. That's why it takes so long. Mm. The, the hard part is not the research, it's not going to libraries like the one we're in and yeah. digging in. The hard part is how much truth, how much tea do I want to spill? How much and how hot is it? How, baby, <laughs> how hot is the tea? Is, is it mint tea? Listen, is it hibiscus tea? I, is it sweet tea? English breakfast. Is it half and half? Half and half. What? What? You, is it English breakfast? Is it oolong? What's going on? Oolong. <laughs> you know, you get that whiff. You know, I mean, all of those right. things matter. The aromatics of Cause, it. Because remember something. Here's the other part. So part of the the disruption of this history mm. is obviously obfuscation and amnesia. Yeah. Intentional. Intentional, but it's the other part. Silence. The gaps. We protect ourselves through quiet. Mm. Through silence. Grandma, why how did you da da da? Don't worry about that. Don't worry about that. That ain't none of your business. None of your business. The grown folks talking. Mm. So we especially as as folks of African descent, people of color, we protect wow. ourselves through silence. So the opposite to do the opposite of that is not natural. It isn't. That vulnerability is terrifying. Yes. And the silence speaks volumes, but then again, breaking the silence can be really quiet. So there's a chapter in there, mm. for example, on my own LGBT identity, queer identity. Mm. And it's very short, and it's short because initially I was going to go gang hall. I was like, all right, let me just, just let me just talk some some real talk about what it's like to date or marry or da 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 in this in this space. Yeah. And then I just I totally shrank back and I said, mm, now's not the time. Mm. But I mean, there's some signifying there, right? Which yes. is another trait of uh-huh. black communities that every that everything ain't everybody's business, right? Everything and everything is not for, for you. No, yeah. There is there we we're we're deeply you know going so it's to, coded. Yes, yeah, so yeah, yeah. You know, going to West Africa eight times. Mm. It taught me something. Part of part of the African way of knowing is secret knowledge. Wow! And that secret knowledge secret. has power knowledge yes secret knowledge and this is something that reaches i mean you're talking about being in west africa but that reaches to you know my family's roots in canton mississippi and chicago Mm -hmm. illinois and Mm -hmm. the secrets that folks had to keep to stay alive yes to survive and and encoding things and and you know also that's what brings us back to the food because the food itself Mm -hmm. um you know in jewish food and in african-american african-atlantic food um a lot of food was used to impart symbolism, to teach messaging. Text food was a form of text. Absolutely, um, it was also a form of signifying identity. So, for mm-hmm. example, during the time of the Inquisition, um, Jewish families that pretended to be Christian, hmm. um, but were practicing Judaism in their house, were often ratted out by people who were looking in their pots to see what they were eating. See if they were eating pork wow. or not. To see how much garlic they put in their food, there were all these wow. things. If they, if they used olive oil instead of lard, um, there were certain foods that were eaten certain times of the year because of yeah Passover, Passover and yeah or Hanukkah, or whatever. And they were checking to see if they made the symbolic foods. And if you made them, you know that meant, then that was the telltale sign. Yeah, that you would go before this thing. You'd be you know at the at the the the, the, the best that you could happen to you was you'd be fined. Mm. But the worst was that you'd be tortured and right, killed in front and of people for what you ate. For what you ate. But how does this? For what you put into your body. But we know this because we were tortured and hurt because of of being able to read and well, write and what we ate. Right. And if you were we eating ate. what right. wasn't for you, 
then there was pun- that right, was punishable exactly, by death. Exactly, exactly. So the other part of it is, is that we did our own coding, which is, we said we we raised these children. Mm-hmm. See, we raised the mm-hmm. the debacra, and so we 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 we, we, we 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 were like, okay, if this little child can learn how to eat okra, and eat this and eat this and eat this and, and, this and young, then we don't have to hide. Wow. We are we are we are we are imparting we African culture in plain sight. We are passing this on. So we may have lost language and name and uh, you know actual physical roots, right. but I can pass on this. This is how we eat. This is how we love. This is how we move. This is who we are. Right. But wow. You know, but you know what? But you know what? This goes. Let's wind it right on back to the Hebrew Bible mm-hmm. when the children of Israel are leaving the land of bondage. Mm-hmm. They ask Mas Moshe Rabbeinu. But what about the food of Egypt? What about the food of Egypt? And they they resonate on that. Yes. Right? They want to go back. They want to go back because they don't want to starve. They think they're going to starve. They have no faith, the idea that that they'll be provided for. Manna from heaven, right? Manna from heaven. They don't even know what manna is. Right. What is this? What is this? What is this? Right? You know. And it doesn't even keep overnight. (laughs) It doesn't even keep overnight. And if you try to keep it, it's going to go stale. It is. And all all that kind of stuff. It's going to be putrid. And so, like... It just hits back that, wow. you know, um, even in even in that nexus of slavery, um, Jewish identity in the New World, and you know various things. It's complicated. Mm-hmm. But one thing that I found was, for those Jewish communities that incorporated Black folks, um, both as free people but also as enslaved people, yeah, they began to leave a, a culinary record that. You know, you look at these community cookbooks and from Curacao, record. from Trinidad, from all these different places. Wow. Guess what you find? Fried plantains. Yep. Okra soup. Cassava. Yes. All this stuff going on. All these on leafy and greens and, and lentils. Right. Yeah. Red rice. It's like, wait a minute. And then you come to the American South. Mm. And look, this is so familiar. Right. And who laid the, the foundation for this? Right. Who who who, who were those people, Mitchell settlers? They were from the Caribbean, mm-hmm. and they went to Charleston, Savannah, yeah, Biloxi, Rice, Natchez, New Orleans, yeah, and then later Memphis, Atlanta, Birmingham. And now we have gumbo. And now we have gumbo, but not just gumbo, matzo ball gumbo. But not just black eyed peas, black eyed pea kishka, but not just fried chicken, matzo mill fried chicken. And who was the other innovator here? Black women. Right. In these kitchens. In these kitchens. And on on a different level. Innovating. Innovating. And on a different level because I would never forget meeting Mrs. Mildred Covert in New Orleans. She's no longer with us. Yeah. And she said something amazing. She said to me, (laughs) she says, I want you to know that. We learned how to be Americans from the black ladies on Dryad Street. Mm. She's speaking as someone whose mother was an immigrant. Mm-hmm. And she said, we would know we said we Jews in the South and we Jews in New Orleans would not have a culture the way we have it if it were not for our relationship with African-Americans. Oh, my gosh. That's uh, I mean, that's groundbreaking. That's groundbreaking because but it I'm, makes sense. I'm going to tell you a Mississippi story. All right. Yeah, because we, we're in Mississippi. I was in Natchez. Let's hear this. So two, years, two, three years later, and I was at a, like a little book festival there. Yeah. And that audience looked kind of bewildered at me when I said, y'all eat, y'all do things that come from this creolized heritage of Africa meets America. They didn't know what, what I was talking about. I said, okay, wait a minute, hold but up. But they were going to leave your talk and go 
eat some catfish. Yeah, and, 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 and greens and, and okra and black eyed peas. I was just like, uh, uh-uh, uh, we ain't. Well, I'm, I'm playing with that with y'all, right? And I said, how many of y'all in this audience, when you were growing up, who was your best friend? Uh oh. And who were who worked for your family? Who who did you who was down the road? Who did you go to? And by the way, that that lady who who you know you you work with your family, work for your family. Did she put a little little string around your neck with a pierced coin on it or a rabbit foot? Uh oh. Did she put a little con- a Johnny Conquer root in your gritty, pocket? Gritty. Mm. And when you were and when you were being babysat, did you go to church with her and sit in the back row? And learn the songs. And learn the songs and learn the rhythms. Mm-hmm. And then eat after church. Right. And then eat after church. I mean, I just, and they were just like, kind of the heads up together. <laughs> and I said, that You should have just started with a church hymn. Just and was, see who right, joined in. Right, I raised a hymn and something. <laughs> but that was the difference between Mrs. Covert and these other white Southerners. Awareness. She was, she was, per, as, as an outsider, as someone on, an outlier, but also somebody who was also part of the mainstream. That's the uniqueness yeah. of, of Jews in America. Yes. She was also yes. prepared to say, I have no problem saying that without black people, I wouldn't be the same person or have the same America or have the same culture. That is a, I mean, that's a realization that not, not only Southern America has to make. And, I mean, but all of America. All of America. I mean, we think about Imani Perry's book in situating the South as the foundation and the vanguard of Americanness, and then African culture right. as the foundation of Southern culture especially as it correlates to as well as, as, well as the cooking gene <laughs> there we go the cooking gene that part that, l- listen uh plug unshameless i, I want to you push the boundaries of genre very uh, obviously here in remarkable ways it's brilliant you also push the boundaries of expectation mm-hmm. or you get tied to all things culinary which you are brilliant and agile at but you describe this it's as not an academic journey yeah. and as an academic I, t- I go straight to the research part not a recipe book and so folks that are seeking this book out it's academics and folks that want to know okay well what does Michael Twitty say we're supposed to be eating and why we eat certain things you describe this as an eclectic recipe file mm-hmm. which i have to be very honest j- just sings to me because again file goes back to that salvation being yeah. an issue the saving of our lives the documentation that we've been denied right uh through that across secret history. file that secret file that that's a really complex notion that i i like for you to to break down the sure. benefit of curating a recipe file so, for those who may not recipes are the support mm-hmm. they're not the the end you know, some people, when they approach food, all food people ain't alike. Mm. So a lot of all times... All food people ain't alike. No, it's a how... You know, for some people, food is about how-to. I get it. I get yeah. it. You don't want to hear about, you know, you know, <laughs> international <laughs> coffees and meeting Jean-Luc in Paris on that trip. That's a very 80s kid reference, yeah, 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 by the way. Yeah, it is. Um, <laughs> but, but I dug it. I'm an 80s know, kid. You, dig it. You, you, you hear what I'm saying? Uh-huh. And I get it. I mean, I, you don't want to read all this, all this Thurman drawn to get to the bottom of the recipe. Mm-hmm. But you have to understand that person writing that kind of food blog is writing it for a very specific audience. They're not okay. writing it for like okay. Mr. Food Dude Nerd. Right. They're writing it for a fellow woman mm. who is probably making a home, being at home as a mother for whom that voice mm-hmm. relates to her. Yeah. Me? Okay. This is about people who are like, how do I even begin to def- define or find myself? Mm. This are people who are just like, oh, you know, I don't want a stodgy, you know, academic book. 
right. I kind of want a, some recipes, but the recipes are support. The recipes are basically like a form of documentation, evidence, and a and, way of understanding. And, yeah, and a way of understanding. Yeah, but it's not necessarily just a how-to. If you go into these recipes, but I know how to cook, bless your heart. <laughs> bless your heart. Bless your soul, baby. Bless your soul and bless your heart. Because <laughs> the bottom line is this: you have to approach them with a cook's eye and be able to say. Oh, let me adjust that. Let me do this. I don't think there's a single recipe out there that I haven't, I haven't fussed with. Let me tell you, my grandmother's recipes, which are, that was her heirloom to me, right? Yeah. Like that, yeah. it, we didn't have pearls and jewelry passed right. down, no trust fund. It's her recipes. And there are no numbers, right? It's like, put this in, right. put that in, a little pinch of this, a dab of that. And if you were to ask her during her life, how much salt, grandma? Oh, baby, however much you need. Right. Which to me also signals what you're doing in this book with it's not this uh, regimented archival uh, history that we have. It's piecemeal. It's put together. It's balanced. It's, you know, touches of this, touches of that. And it doesn't look like the history books. When you're marginalized and oppressed, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. how do you create a, a linear step by step manual storybook narrative of who you are? When you had it stripped from you too, when your you had history, it stripped from yeah. You. And when and when you've been unable to preserve it all on your own, I'm sure that um, it would be great to have a full set of oral histories from the synagogue of the enslaved in Suriname mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in the 18th and 19th centuries. What you know, or or what what it was it like to have been enslaved to a Jewish family in Norfolk or in Charleston? Wow, yeah. Who was their cook? Yeah. Exactly. And if they kept kosher, what was that like? Mm-hmm. I can only really imagine that because wow. I know sir, from little little examples how that went down. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I've thought about writing a novel about that Please or writing do. other things about that. Please do it. Because you know, now we're hungry for it. Okay? Right, right, right. <laughs> but you know, but the, the first part is creating a, a hunger. Mm-hmm. The first part is just an idea. But also we, we, we missed mm-hmm. out on one part. Personal narrative. Personal I interview narrative. other people because, yeah. for example, I interview yes. Mark Steiner. Mark Steiner is from Baltimore. He's uh, his first wife was African American. Um, his children um, are all black. Mm-hmm. And he, we went into went on it. He was like, "Well, growing up in segregated white Baltimore," he said, "as a Jewish person, it was very complicated." And he, even more so, he goes on to talk about how, you know, his Boy Scout troop was all black. And hmm. that was totally by accident. And he <laughs> integrated the Boy Scouts in Baltimore. And they did, too. As a, as a Jewish child. As a white Jewish kid. <laughs> and he talks about how, like, he loved to have, like, his African-American friends in boyhood over. Yeah. But he said none of the white kids would play with them. Mm-hmm. But then we, when he went over to their houses, everybody, everybody wanted to was play welcome. with Mark. Because they were like, oh, you, you know, it was the first, that was a yeah. sole interaction. But it wasn't just about that. He talked about sharing food and food. lunches with his fellow Boy Scouts and how they were just like, what, what is that? What's going on yeah. with that? You know, and then, you know, just to, to, to reinforce to people that that's how American and other histories actually occur. Mm-hmm. It's kids. Mm. It's everyday people. Yeah. You know, his mother even, there's a, there's a part of the book where his mother's like, you know, they were going to go to Paul's restaurant and Paul's like other places in Baltimore were surrogated. Mm-hmm. And so they're like, you know, you got to take that black kid out of here. Mm. And his mother and him were just like, no, no, um, he's not going anywhere. And that was the day 
that Paul's restaurant became officially integrated. With a child is having a play date. Yep, with a child having a play date, and he got his best suit on, and they were not going to take him out of there. Because he's with us. Because he's with us. He's part of this family today. Right. So, I mean, I know we have time issues, but interviewing Chef Chambre, who's Muslim. Mm-hmm. Why was that important? Mm-hmm. Yes. Because she's from the community in Philadelphia that's very strong. It's very big. I mean, mosques everywhere. You can hear the call to prayer mm-hmm. in the streets. And as a chef, she's of Southern heritage. Her family was went to the Nation of Islam, uh, came to a different variety of Islam, but also right. with the NOI influences. But just to compare her with white Southerners who had converted to Judaism, with black Jews, with white Southern Jews who were born and raised Jewish. Just bringing them all into the city. And all of them under the, the rubric of Southerness. Mm-hmm. And how much for all of them it belonged to us. The most important thing was keeping that Southern heritage alive in the yeah. kitchen. Yeah, I love how you diversify Southerners. As a Black Southerner, we often have to scrape for Southerners to be ours. Well, because we've been told the minute you the minute you went on the Great Migration, you you forfeited. We've been told, but the food went with us. Well, the food went with, with us. The, the stories went that's with the us. The whole thing, like to, to, somebody said, well, you're from up north. Um, excuse me. Wait a minute. Hold up, baby. Let's, let's get let's get this let's get this totally straight. Detroit ain't nothing but a northern suburb Hello. of Birmingham. Chicago is North Mississippi. North Jackson. All of that. Listen, I used the cooking gene in my dissertation. You're in there, so wow. you are embedded oh in this story wow. that is very personal to I'm me. So honored. Um, and it was an honor to use it. The culture soul. How do you hope it will be? used engaged i want people to start to investigate these histories i bring up in conversations i want people to begin to document these outlier histories and border crosser experiences Mm -hmm. had by um different types of people but especially people of african descent you know i thought there were a lot of things i didn't include in this book right like i wanted to even go through this whole breakdown of like how the unexpected blackness so when people, when I was growing up, there were people in my community who were black Vietnamese, mm-hmm. whose fathers were GIs. Yes. And they were Viet- but you guess what? They were from Vietnam. They spoke Vietnamese. They did not understand. Yeah. To them, the, the, their DNA was an accident of, of history. Mm-hmm. They didn't understand. They, they didn't understand what it meant to be black American, but they were still black. Yeah. By American standards. And that's projected onto them. They were projected onto them. And then, of course, I was reading about, like, bl- many different, just the black Jews in early America who found themselves in Jewish communities where they were the only black person. Like, how does that work? Or black Irish people came over during the potato famine. Hello. And how they, you know, it was one thing to be yes. different in Ireland, but a whole other thing right. to be arriving in America. To be, be black con- Irish and also black Irish, right? Like- yeah, and to be considered that you were somehow enslaved mm-hmm. by virtue of being black. Mm-hmm. So there are all these histories and experiences and stories that we have yet to record, and we got to do it now. Mm-hmm. So that's all I want. Do it now. Do Don't it wait now. on ceremony. Yeah. Represent. Tell your story. Do it now. I love I love leaving with that charge. Michael, thank you. Like I said, we could take all day thank with you. this, but I'm so glad we had at least 30 minutes to chat. Wow. Spill a little tea. Yeah, 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 for the ancestors. <laughs> for the ancestors, for the That's culture. It. Thank you. Thank you. Right on Mississippi is produced in partnership with Mississippi Public Broadcasting for the Mississippi Book Festival, the South's literary lawn party.